Well, good morning and uh, welcome to everyone. Um, if this is your uh, first time with us, you're especially, especially welcome. It's great to have you here uh, with us. And of course, um, welcome to everybody watching uh, online, wherever you are. It's good to, uh, to worship together. And uh, of course, today is a, is a special uh, Sunday, it being Pentecost. And I'm gonna hand straight over to Mark, who's gonna introduce uh, Pentecost to us through his uh, all-age video. Hi everyone. So today is Pentecost Sunday, but that's a bit of a funny word, isn't it? Pentecost. I wonder what it means. Well, Pentecost comes from a Greek word that literally means 50th. And we celebrate Pentecost Sunday on the 50th day after Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday. So let's have a look and find out a little bit more about the very first Pentecost. After Jesus had risen from the dead, he didn't go straight to heaven, but he stayed on earth for 40 days. During this time, he appeared to his disciples on many occasions and continued to teach them. The last time he was with them, they were on a hillside and he told the disciples that he would be going to heaven, but he wouldn't leave them all on their own. He would send the Holy Spirit to comfort and empower them. As soon as he'd said this, he was taken up into heaven and hidden by a cloud. Now, while the disciples were still staring at the sky, wondering what was going to happen next, an angel appeared and told them to do what Jesus had said, to go back to Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what they did. Now, at that time, there was a big Jewish festival going on in Jerusalem. It was called the Festival of Weeks, and it happened 50 days after the Passover. Because of this festival, there were Jews from all over the world in Jerusalem. They spoke many different languages. The disciples were waiting and praying together in their house. They were all together, and they were doing as they'd been told. And as they were praying, suddenly they heard a sound like a mighty wind or a rushing tornado. The sound filled the house. Then flames came down and surrounded them and rested on each of them like tongues of fire. These were the signs of the Holy Spirit. All the disciples were filled with the Spirit to overflowing, so much so that they started to speak in other languages, languages that they didn't know or understand. And this was the power of the Holy Spirit. A great crowd gathered outside the house because all the people that had come to Jerusalem for the festival heard the noise coming from the disciples. Most were amazed because they heard the disciples speaking in their own languages. But some said, No, it's a load of rubbish. These men must be drunk. After a while, Peter, one of the disciples, stood up and spoke to the crowd in a loud voice. These men are not drunk, he said. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. How can they be? God spoke about this day way back in history through one of his prophets, a man called Joel. Joel said that everyone who believed in Jesus would be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit would give them power to obey God's word and share God's love. He would give them the ability to make good choices and follow God. Joel said that everyone who believed in the Lord would be saved. Peter reminded those listening that Jesus had done amazing things while he was on earth, miracles that could have only been done by God, and therefore Jesus must have been God. But because the Holy Spirit is also God, if the people believed in Jesus and asked him to forgive their sins, then Jesus would also give them power through the Holy Spirit to do exactly the same things that Jesus did. Peter said that men had put Jesus to death through no fault of Jesus' own, but actually this was part of God's amazing plan. And Jesus rose again three days later. It was only through Jesus' death and resurrection that we can have a relationship with God again as we were created to. 
When the Jews listening heard this, they realised that it was all true. What should we do? They asked. Repent, turn your backs on your old lives and choose to follow Jesus. He told them to get baptised because Jesus was baptised and they were choosing to follow in his footsteps. Now, it must have been quite a talk because about 3,000 people did what Peter said and got baptised there and then. But it wasn't all talk, it was actions as well. As Peter and the other disciples went to the temple to pray, they came across a lame man at the temple gate. He was there every day begging, and when he saw Peter, he asked him for money. Peter took the man by the hand and was filled with compassion. He said to the man, Look at us. We have no money, but we have something much, much better than that, and I'm going to share it with you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the man immediately began to stand. Everyone was astounded. The man had been unable to walk since the day he was born. How could this be? Peter explained that Jesus had sent the Holy Spirit to help all of those who believed in him carry on his work on earth, to share the good news and the love of God and perform miracles in his name. And all those watching praised God. You see, the Holy Spirit completely changed the disciples' lives. They'd been shut away in a room, fearing for their lives and wondering what was going to happen to them. But when the Holy Spirit was poured out, their hearts were completely transformed. They were filled with courage and love for their community, empowered to speak out, to share the truth of the gospel and demonstrate God's love in action. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is still doing that today. All you have to do is ask. Great. Um, so the prophet Joel prophesied um, this day hundreds of years before the day of Pentecost, Joel said this, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days. Hi everyone. So today is Pentecost Sunday. Lord God, we just thank you for this day of Pentecost when we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was given to all believers. And we thank you, Lord, that you are Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we pray now, Father, that as we gather to worship, that you would send your Holy Spirit Send the fire, Lord, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, unfortunately, we're not, we're not allowed to, to, to sing, but please uh, do stand. Please do raise your hands. Please do uh, uh, just, just express yourself however you, you want to. As, uh, as uh, we sing this uh, song, O God of burning, cleansing flames, send the fire. Um, so let's, uh, let's worship God.
asking the Holy Spirit to fill us anew, to uh, fill our lives with his presence, his power, his love, his joy. So maybe as we're singing this and as you are kind of perhaps speaking the words in your own mind, you might want to just open your hands um, with an attitude of coming to God with empty hands and saying, Lord, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Fall afresh on me. So maybe if you'd like to just, you don't have to do this, but sometimes it's just helpful to uh, express that desire to receive by just opening your hands to God. just uh, plays in the background let's just express our own desires to God to be filled in our own, in the quietness of our own hearts Please be seated. The uh, young people are going to leave us now and go out to their to their group. I think is that right, Mark? Okay. We're going to move now into uh, into a time of uh, open prayer, open um, intercession and petition. Um, and so, if you'd uh, if you'd like to pray in here, we just ask that you put your hand in the air. And Alison um, has the microphone, and uh, she'll run over, um, I think, or walk quickly, or run, or something. And uh, <laughs> You can pray uh, through the microphone on here. That way, um, everybody at home listening on Zoom can also hear you. And if you're on Zoom, we just ask that you'd unmute um, and speak, and then uh, people in here in church can hear you too. So let's, uh, let's come before God. Um, we're, we're mindful, aren't we, that uh, a number of, a uh, couple of faithful members have recently passed on to be with Jesus. And uh, so we, we continue to pray for Bob and Pam's family. We continue to pray for Bob and uh, Marcus and Jane uh, with the passing on of, uh, of um, 
dear Joe, as well. So, um, and there are situations around the world that we need to be uh, mindful of too, as well as in the fellowship. So as the Holy Spirit leads you, please lead us in praying for the fellowship and further afield. And I read a few words from Psalm 73. Truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But for me, my feet had almost stumbled, for I was envious of the arrogant. And when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they are not stricken like other men, and pride is their necklace. They scoff and speak with malice, they threaten any oppression. People turn and praise them, understanding this was a wearisome task until in God's sanctuary I perceived their end, how they are destroyed in a moment. Whom have I in heaven but thee, God? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my portion forever. Amen. Amen. Jerusalem, we pray for your holy city to have peace. We pray for all those that firing weapons, for their hearts to be filled with your love, that they would down these weapons, mm. that peace would fall upon this part of the world, Lord. We pray for those who are grieving, who've lost children, who've lost dads and mums, aunts and uncles. We cry out, Heavenly Father, for your peace to reign on high. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Father, we thank you for the remembrance that this day is mm. of you pouring out the Holy Spirit so that each one of us who trust you and believe in you can have power to, to live the life that you have have so freely given to us. I just pray, Lord, that on this day, well, not just this day, but particularly today, that there'll be many people all over this world, as we've already prayed for, for Jerusalem, but, Lord, many other countries, um, towns and cities, people, so need your love, so need your spirit. And we just pray, Lord, that today, more than any day, that your spirit will just be poured out all over this all over this world lord so mm. that people will come to know you and and there will be peace we realize of course that there won't be true peace until jesus comes again but lord it'd be so great if there was the wars would cease and oh jesus that mm. you were uplifted your name was uplifted and um glorified so we we thank you lord for what you have done amen amen Lord, we thank you that you didn't just trickle your Holy Spirit out. You poured it out in abundance, mm. Lord. Mm. And you said that everyone who believes in you will be, should and will be filled, Lord. And we just pray that we, we will reach out to you, Lord, and that you will pour, that, that we will be wanting more of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Mm. Just not, not just a trickle, but a complete immersion in you, Lord. Mm. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you you just didn't leave us alone, Lord, but that you, you did pour your Holy Spirit out, Lord. And we pray particularly for those who are grieving at this time, Lord, mm. that they will just know that real touch of your Holy Spirit today. Yes. Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yes, we thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter, the Counselor, He's the one who draws alongside, the advocate, the helper. And uh, we pray, Lord, for those who today continue to grieve the loss of loved ones. We remember um, Bob and the family of, of Pam. And of course, we remember Bob uh, as he grieves for the loss of Joe. And we pray for Marcus and Jane and the wider family, Lord, as they prepare uh, things for a service of remembrance and thanksgiving. Lord, for all of these dear folk, we, we ask that your 
Holy Spirit would just draw alongside and give peace and comfort and hope and strength at this difficult time. And Lord, for all those of us who struggle um, today for all sorts of reasons, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would pour out the love of God again into our hearts, that we might have that assurance that we are your children, Father, and that perfect love would cast out all fear. And we ask all these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our reading is uh, from Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and uh, verses 4 to 12. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbour. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Let us pray as we come to God's word. Lord, we thank you that your word is a two-edged sword, that it has mighty power um, and it has power to uh, divide joints and marrows. And uh, Lord, we, we come in awe and reverence and with a heart that wants to obey your word. So Lord, we pray that Holy Spirit, you would, you would open up this living word to us, help us to apply it to our hearts and to our lives, and give us the courage and the strength to obey it, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're uh, moving through uh, a series in the book of um, Ecclesiastes, and today we come to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I want to look uh, today at uh, what it means to love God and love our neighbour from a pure heart. So loving God and our neighbour from a pure heart. Um, have we got the PowerPoint we can put up there, Carol? Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. So after um, Solomon became king of Israel, God, you might remember the story, but God invited King Solomon to ask him for whatever he wanted. And Solomon asked for understanding to govern God's people and uh, he could have asked for anything but he asked for understanding to govern the people and we learn that God was pleased that Solomon asked for this and he gave him a wise and discerning mind and so wise was Solomon that people from all over the world kings and queens and people came to hear Solomon's wisdom and uh, he would teach them about um, creatures, birds, animals, plants. He had wisdom about just about every subject under the sun. And with his knowledge and wisdom, he achieved great building projects. He built the temple. He built parks, palaces, gardens. But along with all this understanding and wisdom, God also blessed Solomon with riches and honor too, and promised Solomon a long and prosperous life if he obeyed God. And Israel enjoyed many years 
of prosperity and peace and unity under King Solomon's kingship and leadership. But sadly, we know also that towards the end of his life, that Solomon became tainted by all this wealth and power and status. And as he looks back on his life here in chapter four, he notices that there were some unhealthy heart motivations that were driving him at this time. And that his heart had turned away from God to worship idols and other gods. And as a result, um, Solomon's heart became tainted and he started to worship other idols and other gods. And as a result of his disobedience, the kingdom was split into the north and the south, Israel and Judah. And Israel no longer enjoyed the unity that they once had. And they became a nation who were divided and at war with one another and with other nations. And Solomon wants to warn us in this passage in Ecclesiastes 4 that we need to serve God from a pure heart, um, that there are motivations deep in our hearts that can turn our service into um, idol worship. It can turn us away from God, just as it did for Solomon. Now, the Bible considers wealth, achievement, advancement, leadership as gifts of God and as a means of honoring God and honoring others when used in his service. So the Bible is not against wealth or achievement or success per se, but the Bible wants to highlight to us that there are dangers in these things. When these things become an end in and of themselves, our hearts can be tainted, but we need to have pure motivations. So I want to look today at a number of things. I want to look first at how dangerous motivations of the heart can cause us to seek wealth, advancement and achievement for selfish reasons. We're going to look at envy, laziness, overwork and over busyness. Secondly, I want us to see how Solomon teaches us that we were made to serve God's glory and others. Third, I want us to see, but if we're to serve God and others, we need healing in the inner motivation of our hearts. Fourth, I want us to see that Jesus is the one who can heal our hearts. And fifth, we will conclude by seeing how we can love God and others from a pure heart. So first of all, dangerous motivations of the heart. The first one that Solomon identifies is envy. Verse four, then I saw that all toil and skill in work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Now, Solomon is saying here that envy of others, competition or envying what others have got can be a major driver for many in working harder and achieving success. Um, Solomon found this in his own life that he was driven by envy. He wanted to be more successful, more wealthy, more powerful than everybody else. And at one point he was. Now we know that envy does not drive all hardworking people, but Solomon is a bit like Proverbs making a general statement. Envy often is a driver for working hard and success. Envy has long been considered one of the seven deadly sins, and for good reason. It's so subtle. Um, consider the old saying, any friend can share your sorrows and failures, but it takes a true friend to share your joys and successes. I like that. To truly share someone's joys and successes is an act of humility. Um, I don't know if you've... Um, I'm sure you've never done this, but sometimes we pat people on the back and say, well done, through gritted teeth. You know, we, we, we try to smile and we're thinking all the time, I wish it was me. I wish I'd achieved that. So we say the right things, don't we? We're polite, nice, courteous people. But on the inside, we're thinking, if only I'd, I was being recognized like this person. There's this 
there is this competitive, envious streak in us from time to time. Not always, but we need to recognize it can be there. But to truly celebrate the joys and successes of others is to be humble and to want the success and welfare for that other person. You see, deep down, our hearts often want to be noticed and uh, we want to be the focus of attention. Um, we can even appear to love up people on the outside, but inside there's a whole different world going on sometimes, isn't there? We can be envious. We're hoping to get something from the other person by being nice to them. <laughs> we want them to be nice to us, so we're nice to them. And Solomon is going deep down into the human heart. All this striving and toiling and working, who's it for? Is it really to serve God and honour him and to love others and serve others? Or are we chasing status? Are we wanting to, uh, to be seen by others as being important, powerful? Are we wanting others to see us in a certain way, to perceive that we are sort of hardworking, uh, successful people? What's really motivating us as Christians? What should motivate us, of course, is the glory of God. Our work is a means through which we serve God and serve others. But sometimes, if we're honest, our motivations are a little bit more impure. They're a bit more mixed, aren't they? Second, laziness. Um, laziness is also unloving toward our neighbour, but for a different reason. We have nothing to give away to others. Verse 5, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. There's an image, isn't it? Self-cannibalism. <laughs> Sounds extreme, doesn't it? There's no food in the cupboard because the lazy person hasn't bothered to go and earn it or go and get it. So they end up eating themselves to survive. Now, Solomon doesn't literally mean that, does he? He's, it's, it's a turn of phrase. He's saying that a lazy person has lost all their self-control and capacity for self-care. And so they are ruining themselves. They are eating up themselves through neglect. Um, and Jesus calls us to love our neighbours. He calls us to work hard to serve our community. So if you work hard in business, you are serving people with a product, with a service, right? If you work hard as a teacher, you are serving others or in the NHS or wherever your sphere of service is. Maybe you're a grandparent um, serving your family, Um all of these spheres are opportunities for us to, to give to others, to do good to others, to love God and serve God and others. Laziness shares nothing. It simply sort of looks after itself, but strangely doesn't look after itself. It can't even be bothered, laziness, to look after its own body. And so all you end up with is ruin. What about over-busyness? That's the opposite extreme. You know, the kind of person running from one thing to the next, always trying to get a grip on today in the hope that tomorrow will be better. Um, when I was a teacher, I apologize to, to teachers uh, listening to this, but it, you, you never came away from the day thinking you'd achieved everything you were supposed to achieve. You were kind of like, just running to stand still. I think teachers feel like that today. You never finish everything that you want to finish. And um, I think some people live their lives like this, that, you know, if I can just get control of everything today, tomorrow will be a better day. Do, do you know the, 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 the drive? Tomorrow I'll complete the dream move. Tomorrow I'll have time for prayer and reading my Bible. Tomorrow, I'll get that degree. I'll meet the deadline. I'll complete the dream move. 
Tomorrow will be better because I'll work harder and get control and a grip on things today. So you're always running, as it were, to stand still. And this kind of frantic busyness is often driven by our desire to want to leave a legacy. We want to be known as people who made a difference in the world, who leave a legacy. And we want to create our own reputation, our own legacy. And it often drives us towards a spirit of competition and self-promotion. But we can leave our legacy in God's hands. That's good news, isn't it? We don't need to be striving to create our own legacy, our own reputation, because we can just serve God and chill out and leave our legacy in his hands. Verse 6, I love this. Um, if we just go back one slide. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Isn't that lovely? Uh, one of my fears is as we come out of lockdown, that we're just going to go back to how we were before um, as a nation. Um, that we're just going to carry on doing what we did before. That's, that's one of my, I really pray and hope we don't. But the way that technology just keeps getting faster and faster and faster, I, I'm not so sure that we won't go back to how we were before. Um, technology demands these days that we're available 24-7. Those of you who are at work will know what I mean. Emails, texts, pinging 24-7 these days. We're, you know, people expect people to be sort of answering messages late at night. This is the kind of frenetic, over-busy culture that we now live in. Um, phones and technology have made it so that we are supposed to always be available and accessible. Not so, says the Bible and God. Better a handful of quietness. Better one hand than two hands full of striving. In other words, rest and peace and contentment in life are far more important than being busy. And sometimes, let's be honest, we, we try to keep busy to look important, right? People like to look busy to others because it makes them seem important and gives them a sense of significance. But actually, Solomon says, better to be less busy and content and peaceful than striving to kind of give off an image. Um, I think Surrey is one of those places where people like to give off an image of being busy and important. Um, they often say on the, um, in Sarah's school, the head will often say, get your sharp elbows out because it's a middle-class kind of driven culture. People are very competitive. They like to look busy. They like to be seen to be important, to have status. It's that kind of culture, isn't it, that we live in? And there's a constant drive for us to be over busy, to look as though we are successful. Better to be peace, to have peace and contentment than to be over busy, says Solomon. I hope that in this lockdown time, we've learned some better patterns of work and life. I really hope and pray that. Um, if you walk down the canal, you will see more and more cabins where people are built to work at home. And I hope we learn as a nation to find a better balance between work and life, because boy, do we, need, do we need it? People have learned again, the importance of being at home, of reading to their children, of spending time with their children. And I hope these things continue. G.K. Chesterton, the writer once said, there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> oh, that our culture would desire less. Stop trying to accumulate more and more power, status, possessions. Solomon is saying to us, stop chasing the wind. Stop going after your own reputation, your own status, and just enjoy life. Enjoy life in the moment. That's something I've had to really learn, is to enjoy life in the moment. Lockdown teaches you that, doesn't it? You know, there's not a lot else you can do. 
So you might as well enjoy the moment. Bake something, read something, slow down and enjoy life in the moment. Rather than trying to get control over the future and staying busy for whatever reason, why don't we just enjoy the moment that God has given us? Wouldn't that be revolutionary? You see, we don't really control much of the future anyway, do we? That's what Ecclesiastes has been teaching us, that seasons come to us. There are seasons um, that are difficult. There are seasons that are joyful. We don't control these things. Life happens to us in the main. We make plans, but we have to be flexible because we don't know whether they will ever come to fruition. It's good to make plans, by the way, just so long as we recognize that they won't always happen and we hold them lightly and loosely in God's hands. Thirdly, the love of money. Solomon introduces us to the chief, the company chief executive, verses seven to eight. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to his toil. And it goes on. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Um, this is the person who's made it all the way to the top of the tree, but they live there alone. No children, no family, no friends. Their only companions are their work and their wealth. Their hours are as long as they've ever been. They obsess over their emails. They never, they never stop on holiday to stop looking at their emails. They're always accessible, always checking messages. When one bonus arrives, they're thinking of the next one. They can't afford to have a wife and family because, quite frankly, they get in the way. So there they are, wealthy but not healthy, alone and lonely, possessing everything except a contented and enjoyable life. Um, I was looking on the BBC website for some current day examples, and uh, there are loads and loads of this, actually. Family breakdown, marriage breakdown through overwork. All over the BBC News website, I found stories. I came across the story of Sandy Steen. After more than three days working as a flight attendant, Sandy Steen, now 65, finally hit the jackpot. Um, when she was 53, she invented the finder's keeper's keepers. This is a tool that hangs onto a handbag and makes it simple to lift out your keys rather than digging for them. And she made millions. I don't know whether any of you have got this uh, digging tool for your handbag, but she made literally millions very, very quickly. It was a dream scenario. But to Steen's surprise, all of this success led to loneliness. Um, she got divorced. Her husband had always been the main breadwinner and grew resentful of her sudden success. Some of Steen's friendships were strained. She said that people got jealous and they said and did ugly things. And you can read so many of these stories of people on, in the news, whose lives have changed, whose relationships have broken down because they made wealth and work the very center of their lives. And now they're alone and unhappy. Easy to target the rich, of course, but the Bible, as I've said, is not against wealth per se. But it is, it's not money that's the root of all evil, but the love of money that's the root of all evil. Um, if the love of money is a root of evil, then Ecclesiastes and the whole Bible has a way of cutting off that root, of severing the root. The root. Here's how to do it. Give your money away. Be generous with what God has blessed you with. Do it regularly, gladly, generously, and then you will be happy. Um, Paul talks about an hilarious giver. It's what the Greek means be an hilarious giver. There is joy in giving. Um, and you will bless others. 
you will bless your family, you will bless yourself, you will, through wealth distribution, create job opportunities, you will bless charities, you will bless the local community with wealth, you will love your neighbour as yourself by being generous with what God has given you. So those are some of the the negative emotions of the heart that can lead us into idolatry and bad things. Second, though, Solomon teaches us that we were made to work with and serve others. That's the second point. Um, It's right there in the Bible, right in Genesis 2. It is not good that man should be alone. We were made for community. We were made for friendships. God himself is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And Jesus doesn't call individual Christians to follow him individually. He calls us into the church. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow, but to express our discipleship by being brothers and sisters with others in the church. We are not called to a Lone Ranger Christianity. We're called to community. And community is a good thing in the workplace too. And whether we're paid for our work or we do voluntary work, wherever we serve and work, collaboration and community are good things. This is what Solomon says in verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Our work is more enjoyable and creative and often more productive when we collaborate with others and use the gifts and skills of others. I have a brilliant team of leaders that I work with. Um, I I wouldn't be able to do what I do without uh, all the people that make Sundays happen. Like today, we have a Zoom team. um, We have the uh, music team, worship team, the, the young people's team that do all the children's work and my team of elders and deacons and all the people that make stuff happen around the church. I couldn't do anything without that team of people around me. And it's really enjoyable to serve alongside other people and to release other people and to say to people, you go do this. And when people do it well, which they do, it's a joy to work with them. It's a joy to collaborate. And you know, people have gifts and skills that I don't have. And when we release people into the ministry areas that they were created to have and see them flourish and bless others, it's a blessing to me. And so collaboration, whether in business, in education, in the church, in voluntary work is the way forward. And Solomon gives us some illustrations of how collaboration helps. If two are better than one, if someone falls down, you can help them up. So if you're on your own and you fall physically or or emotionally, it's good to have somebody to help you to get up, whether that be a friend or a family member. Um, He uses a picture of two travelers in the desert. The desert gets very cold at night. And he, he, he has a picture of two travelers lying back to back and staying warm. So rather than freezing to death at night in the desert, the two travelers can lie back to back and their body heat can stop each other from freezing to death. There's also safety in numbers. Um, If there's two or three people together, they're less likely to be attacked. And the the image there is, of course, that when we stand together in community and as friends in the church, Satan can't pick us off when we stand shoulder to shoulder with others. You know and I know that when we get isolated as Christians, we're, we, go, we get dragged down into sin and temptation very easily because we need one another to pray with us and to encourage us. Third, but we need a friend who can heal our hearts so that we can love God and love others. We can't do this in our own strength. Um, Even our closest friends do not have the power to heal our hearts. So if you're struggling and I'm struggling with envy or over busyness or laziness or a love of money, my friends can advise me and correct me and admonish me and encourage me, but they can't change my heart. 
I need a miracle in my heart. I will always struggle to love God and my neighbor because I struggle with sin. So I need someone who can heal me. And that person is Jesus. So Jesus is the friend who can heal our hearts of the wrong motivations, of envy, of love of money, of laziness, of over-busyness. He's the friend we all need. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan um, Jesus told? And um, he, he, he told us that there was a Jew who was beaten up on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem and left for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus said rather shockingly that a Levite, that's a Jew who worked in the temple, and a priest, another Jewish priest, saw the man, and because they didn't want to tarnish their religious um, rituals and cleanliness or put themselves at risk, they carried on walking past. They didn't stop and help the beaten-up man. But do you know who the beaten-up man is? It's us. Jesus wants you and I to see ourselves as the person beaten up and in need of rescue at the side of the road. It's a picture of your, your, yours and mine spiritual condition. We are beaten up. We are helpless. We are hopeless because we are born into enmity with God. We're not born as friends with God. But the amazing thing about that parable is that Jesus is the good Samaritan who comes to us helpless at the side of the road, lifts us up and heals us and forgives us through the cross and his resurrection. He's the one who offers us healing and forgiveness. Fifth and lastly, how do we love God and others from a pure heart? How do we work and serve God without envy, without love of money, without a spirit of competition or self-promotion. Because the greatest commandment, according to Jesus in, in the Bible, is Mark 12. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the greatest commandments in the whole of the scripture, loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and loving our neighbor. We can't do this in our own strength. We can't even do it with our Christian friends in the church, praying for us and supporting us. If we're to love God and others in our jobs, in our voluntary service, in the church and outside the church, we need our hearts transformed. And only the Holy Spirit can do that work, that miraculous work of transforming our hearts. You see, there is in all of us some envy, some love of the wrong things. There is in all of us a competitive spirit from time to time. Not all the time, but we do compare ourselves with others. We, we are secretly envious of others. We do have mixed motives for the service that we offer in our jobs and in our church work. We don't always serve and work for pure, out of pure motivations, do we? Sometimes it's for our own glory, for our own self-promotion. And we need a heart transplant or a heart transformation. And it's the Holy Spirit who can change our hearts. That's good news, isn't it, on Pentecost Sunday? Ezekiel prophesied it, actually. He said this in chapter 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Anybody want a new heart this morning? Anybody want a heart transformed to be a heart of flesh? Anybody want the stony hard ground of envy, competition, over busyness, striving, driven out of their heart? Holy Spirit is here to transform and renew our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize, like Solomon, that there can be envy, and a competitive spirit, and an over-busyness, a desire to project an image of importance and status and busyness to others. Lord, there can even be a love of money or a love of other things that motivate us to be successful.
Lord, we want to repent of impure motives this morning. Lord, we're truly sorry for our hearts that are not always motivated by pure things. Jesus, we want to be motivated by a love for you and a love for our neighbor. We want all of our service, all of our work paid or voluntary, whether in the community, in business, in education, in health, in the office, or in the church. Lord, we want all of this service to be for your glory and to be motivated by a heart that loves you and loves to serve others and bring glory to your name. So Holy Spirit, we ask again this morning that you would come and renew and transform our hearts. Break down the hard, stony places of our hearts. Would you give us hearts that are soft, soft flesh, hearts that love to serve you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, hearts that love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. There's a song that uh, I wanted to finish with, which really sums it up. It says, blaze, spirit, blaze, set our hearts on fire. Um, this is a prayer that God would set our hearts on fire to love him and love our community and serve others with a pure heart. So let's stand and uh, go through this song.
Amen. Lord, shine on us, we pray, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Set our hearts on fire to love you and serve others. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. It's been fantastic having you all with us this morning, whether here in the sanctuary or at home on Zoom. It's great to, to have your uh, fellowship and, and to worship together.